Hi, everyone. It's your friendly GM, Lucian. We made it to episode three. Hurrah! <laughs> that means we're finally delving into the story of the season and learning just what happens to these students that leads them to a bleak first semester senior year. As such, I want to reiterate the safety rules that I spoke about in episode one, just in case there are listeners joining us at the start of the story. Reminder that all episode-specific warnings will also be in the description box of each episode. This show will contain death, disease, exploration of class differences, lack of control, and metaphoric loss of autonomy within oppressive systems, previous child abandonment, alcohol use, unhealthy relationships with food and caffeine, burnout, and mild body horror. There may also be gaslighting, betrayal, and power imbalances, both amongst characters and between characters in the world at large. Sex and sexuality may play a factor at some point in the plot, but those interactions, if any, will result in a fade to black. Additionally, uh, in this episode, in this episode only, there is a brief appearance by law enforcement in the form of a detective, which is resolved quickly. What you will not see in this story are sexual assault, descriptions of torture, any gore will be mildly referenced, domestic physical abuse, descriptions of or active animal cruelty, and excessive drug use. There will also not be overt homophobia, transphobia, religious discrimination, or racism. While all of our characters will face threats based on the world in which they live and the choices that they make, they will not be talked down to, attacked, or abused on the basis of things that are inherent about them. Please listen to the beginning of episode one for a more critical breakdown of how and why we made these decisions. Finally, if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe to Gaze of the Round on the podcatcher of your choice, rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, and engage in the discussion on Twitter by using the hashtag ThatDarkAcademia. It really helps our visibility and we greatly appreciate it. Without further ado, take care and enjoy the story of That Dark Academia. It's a cold December morning, just at the cusp of 6 a.m. Light is barely starting to filter over the horizon, but the sun won't truly shine through the gray sky that has already settled. The evergreen trees on the outskirts of held home shuffle through a tired breeze, all of nature feeling heavy even as we move through the forest of deciduous trees, bare and trembling. As we burst through the forest and see the gothic architecture of Heldholm University, the entirety of the weather and even the ominous looming of the buildings reflect that something is wrong. There is snow on the ground, but the precipitation coming from the sky is misty sleet and exhausted precipitation, partially masking the view of the clock tower at the top of the campus center as it chimes the first bell of the morning with the tinny tones of a ship's bell from beneath the spire. Campus is quiet, empty and the sound echoes into the wind to signify a mournful six o'clock on the hour. The emptiness is suddenly filled as we make our way to the stone bridge which crosses the river that splits the campus. 
There are footsteps all through the crunched snow, and the river has not yet frozen, save for some single sheets of ice that stretch from the banks like cold fingers. On the bench sit three students, none of them older than age 22, huddled and wet, wetter than you'd be simply from sleet coming from the sky, and they're curled together. Each one of you has a blanket wrapped around you, Claire's a bit thicker than the others. How are the three of you sitting as you handle the emotions of the morning? Sitting pretty close, I would think. Eddie's leaning in towards whoever is next to him. I assume Lenore's on one of the bookend sides, also leaning in, occasionally bouncing a leg. <laughs> but mostly looking down and back over to the other two in small glances. Um, if no one else feels strongly about taking the center, I think Claire would like to be in the center. He is shaking um, and holding, I think, really tight to the blanket. As we pan over closer to the bridge, there are a myriad of paramedics bustling around and a single detective surveying the scene. Splintered ice on the banks, the patterns of footsteps in the snow, remnants of the last moments of a life lived on the stone bridge itself. The detective moves to the body on the stretcher in the middle of the paramedics, the entirety of the body covered, signifying that he was pronounced dead at scene. This is something you already knew, but the confirmation still sets heavy in the soul. The flurry of the morning could have been something else, some kind of dream, but having others confirm the death of your friend and mentor makes it real. A paramedic lifts the covering to reveal Julian's face to the detective out of your sightline. The detective's eyes widen, and he looks over to your bench, starting to take steps to the three of you. The paramedic holds out a hand to stop him and shakes their head, and the two of them exchange words that you can't quite hear. After a minute, the paramedic steps out from behind the stretcher, leaving the detective behind. They are a slight person, but their strong arms swing at their sides, a signifier of their profession. They kneel down at the bench in front of you, looking up at Claire in particular. I don't think he looks at the paramedic as they kneel down in front of him. Then to Eddie and Lenore when Claire doesn't meet their eyes. I'm sincerely sorry for what you stumbled on tonight, they say, their voice level, not accusatory, and on the edge of sympathetic. But we do have to know if we can. Do you know what happened to his eyes or how the ink got into his mouth? I don't know. I don't either. The paramedic sighs after the long silence from Claire, realizing there is no further verification to be had here. They shake their head, running their hand over their mouth, as once again we pan up to the sky, more clearly gray and heavy as the day begins to rise. When you live in a place for your whole life, it's hard to realize that there are things you never knew about it, especially when there are things you probably could have known or should have known. I don't know what the knowing would have changed in the end, but... It might have kept Claire and Lenore out of it, at least. He looked so awful in death. A body is still you in some ways after you die, but I don't know if that's true in this case. That's not something I'll say to them, though. I'd never considered running away before. Not really. The town was mine as much as it was my sisters, my parents, my grandparents. All up and down the line. When does your home become not anymore? Can it happen while you're still there? In a moment, in a space between one breath and the next. When you dream, do you sleep soundly? These days, I dream of the earth opening its mouth and finally being swallowed. 
There are numerous studies on the effects of trauma on the brain and its impact on memory. I'm not sure if this means I should entirely discount what happened to Jules, or Professor Witz, for any officials, or not. I know what we saw was neither easy to explain, nor something I think I would want to delve into with anyone other than Claire and Eddie. I'm afraid bringing it up will mean we'll have to confront it and admit our failures. The fine lines that I had been treading up until now have slowly narrowed, and I can't seem to get good footing anymore. But maybe this has just been a stress-induced dream. Maybe that's it. No, that's just wishful thinking. I just have to accept that this is something we might have seen coming. We might see again if we're not careful. Nothing ever becomes real till it is experienced. It is difficult for me to speak all that became real on that December morning. The truth that presented itself was so blinding, I still can hardly look upon it. But I must try. For his memory, I must. For my own mind, cursed like the wretched mariner, I must. For at an uncertain hour, that agony returns. And till my ghastly tale is told, this heart within me burns. What little I know of the body, I see through the lens of the soul. I am unfamiliar with the anatomy of the eye, the numbers of teeth, the details of the tongue beyond the taste of wine and word. I cannot tell you what the coroner will, but I can tell you with iron certainty that those eyes were not his, that I knew his mouth and never was it capable of such. Words fail me. They failed me then too, when the paramedic asked how I felt, when Shreya asked what happened. I clung only to the knowledge that nothing is so painful to the human mind as a great and sudden change, and had I been able to speak, I would have told them only that. As it happened, my tongue was bound by many culprits. The cold, the grief, the staggering inarticulation that results solely from looking upon a truth. Remembering is only a new form of suffering. Yet I seek what now feels like ages ago, when I could have been any number of things, and so the curtain finally lifts from the memory. Let me begin back in October, the time when most things sink into death, and all else comes to cold, baleful life. And with that, the gray sky changes. The cold and the sleet and the sadness fade away to a blue October afternoon two months prior. We hear birds calling that mirror the sounds of students talking to each other, unaware of events that will eventually transpire. We pan down from the blue sky to the soft changing colors of the trees, the rustling of the leaves as they fall, complementing the breeze of the fall day and covering the commons with the deep reds that can only be found on the East Coast. And we see Claire coming from your last class of the day. It is Thursday, so there's karaoke tonight. (gasps) (laughs) And you're heading to the library to meet up with your friends. You know they each have commitments later in the day. Eddie has a class in the afternoon and Lenore has fencing practice, but you are meeting on the third floor of the library to study. Uh, And we did choose the third floor because it is one of our major locations. The goal for scenes set on the third floor of the library is that uh, characters come to an understanding. So, Claire, how are you feeling? What do you look like? And what happens as you enter the library? Sure. I think he's feeling pretty 
good as far as any senior who is um, drowning in their thesis can feel good. I think that he um, is probably going on about three hours of sleep right now as he heads to the library. His uh, blonde hair has its sort of workaholic cowlick that he gets when he runs his hand through it too much because he's just focusing on work. Um, it's October, so he's got one of his oversized uh, tweed jackets on, uh, probably a turtleneck and some slacks as he goes quickly to the library. He's probably wrapped up in himself, so he's not noticing too much as he enters. Yeah, he probably... And he's got a cup of coffee in his hand. He was sure to freshen up before he headed over to the library. And as you are kind of going through the first floor, I, I think that there's probably like a beautiful like middle staircase that goes up to the second level and then a, a, the other staircase that goes up to the third and then sort of like a back stairwell that goes up to the fourth level. As you pass the front desk, you're kind of in your own world, but you do hear one person just say the name Tipton. And then if you you don't have to look, but Graham is there and will turn away at being called. This is just the right time to catch him uh, on his shift. Uh, I think hearing his name startles Claire a bit and he does look up and upon seeing that Graham is not looking at him, he hurries up the stairs further and makes a <laughs> note of what day and time it is to avoid the library at Thursday on whatever time? The afternoon. Thursday afternoon is no longer library time for Claire. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like Thursday at two o'clock. Like yep. probably just got out of a one, one o'clock class. Mm. Yeah. No more library time. And there's also like an annoying moment because as he's turning away from you, he looks very graceful. You know, his curls are just like wild and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and he's walking yep. back to whoever called his name with some sort of quip or grin, but does not notice you. <sighs> Asshole. Claire scowls and hurries up to the third floor. Awesome. So when you reach the third floor, uh, Lenore and Eddie, who is there already by the time that Claire gets there and who is not? I think if we're meeting, yeah, if we're meeting at two, I think Eddie will be like, he's probably getting to the library pretty close to around the same time Claire does. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Lenore may have been there just a little bit ahead of time then and has just already been studying. Yeah. I do like the idea of Claire's like going in and Eddie's about to, you know, probably like take off your skates and try to get his attention. Mm -hmm. um, and then through the doors, you just see him start walking extremely fast <laughs> towards the stairs. And you're like, I'll catch up with him in a minute. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, hey. all right. No, no, no fine. I'll see you in like a minute. It's cool. But do you, yeah. are you on are you on your roller skates? Are you changing into your shoes outside of the library or were you just walking? Well, he'll probably plop down on a bench, um, whether it's wet or not, and quick undo his <laughs> skates, which are teal. <laughs> yes. I yeah. love. Yes. Why is he perfect? <laughs> he is perfect. <laughs> and dig around in his backpack and put on his tennis shoes and kind of tie the laces of his skates together so that he can carry them in more easily. He's blonde, but with short, shorter hair than Claire. And kind a little of, bit dirtier blonde too, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit dirty blonde. Leaning towards brown, but not quite. It's still blonde and a little bit pushed up in the front, but about the same length all, all around. And um, he is wearing... Just like a plain, probably red T-shirt with some uh, flannel over the top since it's October. And it's probably like a green flannel. So it's a little bit almost Christmassy, but <laughs> he didn't really notice. And then jeans and his teal skates that he's got and just regular white sneakers. So he heads inside and goes upstairs to follow Claire. All right. And that is where we find Lenore at the table. What's Lenore doing? How's Lenore feeling? And what's Lenore looking like today? 
Um, I think Lenore's feeling mildly stressed. I think it's getting to the point of the year where there's a lot of homework and extra assignments and tests are coming up. So I think she's fairly preoccupied with all that. Uh, she is just seated at the table with at least one textbook open, a notebook open, and like maybe a couple worksheets that have a bunch of symbols and equations written on them. She's got a loose sweater on, just a regular gray sweater. That way she can easily take it off and stuff for fencing later on. Um, but she also has a tweed blazer. They do really share. And <laughs> they share I, love by accident. I love it. She's got her like big brown tweed blazer over top of that. And her hair is pulled back in like a little half ponytail, but there are bits sticking out from when she's sitting with her hand, like her head in her hands, and it's kind of messing up parts of the ponytail. As Claire approaches, he says, Oh, good, I did give that blazer back to you. I thought it might still be lost in my closet. Nope, I've had it for a while now. They all start to look the same after a bit, and he sits down across the table. Yeah, but this one's got the elbow patches. I know, it's got the elbow patches that haven't been ruined yet. I feel like all the other ones are kind of missing a stitch. And after you say missing a stitch, you catch sort of like a swinging back and forth flash of teal out of the corner of your eye, and Eddie approaches. <laughs> hey, Kikats. How's it going? He says probably too loud for the library. <laughs> <laughs> There's one person at the opposite table that just looks up and gives like a wide-eyed, it's the third floor, and then clears their throat and looks back down. <clears throat> Claire clears their throat in response and says, hello. You know, it's going. Study time. And he'll settle himself down in the third chair. Um, and also, I would say that, uh, Lenore, you uh, since you're talking about your stress, there is a meet just at the end of midterms. Um, and so you've got both your studying and then when you have practice later, you'll be training for for a competition. So all of that is also going through your head. Jeez. And uh, so I think that everybody sort of like gets their books out, but it there's also this sort of air between everyone of you've known each other long enough that it looks like Claire kind of wants to talk about something, but I don't know how quickly he would have jumped into everything. Claire is usually pretty open with Eddie and Lenore. He's very eager to always lean into whatever drama he wants to talk about, but I think this time kind of hesitant to jump into it. So they're like pulling out their books and opening them and looking like they're about to say something and then not and then taking a sip of coffee, running the hand through the hair Flipping a page, looks up again, goes back to not saying anything. Too much caffeine? Or... Oh, I am obvious, aren't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. I know. I, I do not think there is such a thing as too much caffeine to me anymore. No, it's something else. Well, what is it? <sighs> Runs his hand through his hair. I know how this sounds. Um... And I am grateful that you are willing to hear it. I can't prolong it anymore. I just got to come right out and say it. I've seen a ghost. Where? Eddie asks, nodding. (laughs) (laughs) I expected this was about to be about karaoke night. Oh, nothing wrong can ever happen at karaoke night. No, this is, this is, it is an honest ghost that let me tell you, it appears about twice a month now in my room. In the corner of my room. It makes sense. I bet the dorms are like stupid haunted, so. Are you sure it's not the caffeine and lack of sleep? (sighs) The first time I saw this ghost 
Um, it's a woman, by the way. It appears to be a woman in plain dress. Believe me, the first time I saw her, I did think it was sleep. And then I realized that I had actually slept eight hours the night before. So that doesn't it fix could. everything. It, you are a weird medical student, Lenore. I feel like most doctors would tell me that eight hours of sleep fixes a lot of things. It's got to be consistent, though. Okay. Thank you. Well, <laughs> well, we can't rule out exhaustion, I guess. When I first saw it, I had slept a perfect night and, you know, I was reading a romance novel at the time. It was about ghosts, so I thought maybe it was because of that. But then it happened again a couple weeks later and it's the same ghost, the same woman. I tried to talk to her and I cannot communicate with her, it seems. She won't say anything. It I mean, it could very well be caffeine, but I'm not seeing ghosts now, and this is my fifth cup of coffee today, so... It's only two. Lenore is making a slightly judging face now for everybody listening. <laughs> I, think she, I think she also reaches out and just takes the coffee in front of her and starts drinking it, claiming it to be hers at this point. <laughs> Clay resigns and lets that happen, <laughs> though he looks a little downtrodden about it. So, like, what's the ghost look like? Just like a woman? Yes. She's um, see-through. Yeah, I mean, yes. Otherwise, I would expect her to be just a woman in my room. Eddie shrugs. <laughs> so, say she is a ghost. Did she just show up? Did she walk through the walls? Did she open the door? <laughs> Did she acknowledge you? She just a appears in the corner. I was reading. I was reading, and I looked up, and she was just there. No door. She could have, I guess, appeared through the wall, but I didn't see it. I haven't seen it every time she's appeared. She stares straight forward, like, towards me if I were to move within her sight line, but she's not looking at anything and does not acknowledge anything I say to her. Do we have to, like, do a ghost hunt? I, I don't want to hunt her. <laughs> I want to know why she is here, why she's appeared in my room. I've looked a lot into this. I mean, the opinions of ghosts are as varied as anything but perhaps she has some unfinished business as they call it or perhaps something is keeping her here against her will and i don't know why she appeared to me specifically maybe because i would believe her he smiles at lenore <laughs> she rolls her eyes but smiles a little bit at that maybe this ghost is tied to your room and not you in particular i mean unless you want to be the kind of person that just has a ghost I think I think Claire would want to be that person. You, yes, you two know me very well. I don't mind being haunted by a ghost. But there is some wisdom there. Perhaps she is tied to the room. I don't know who lived there before I did. Does she look like old? Like old-timey dress? She appears to be about middle age. Her dress is so plain, it's really hard to betray any time period. Mm. Her hair is always pulled loosely back. She doesn't look like she's in pain. She looks rather serene. And also, Claire, there's kind of, if you want to clarify, you don't have to, huh, clarify. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a suggestion there where when you say she is middle-aged, it sounds like you're having a hard time connecting that it could be a previous resident because you live in the towers on campus. Typically, not a lot of people who are middle-aged are going to be staying there. That's not to say that there are no students who like come back for mm -hmm. like a bachelor's or a graduate degree like here, but typically they don't stay in the towers. And mm -hmm. so it's strange. So there's an implication, I think, when you say... She's she's about middle-aged, where even though she's timeless as far as dress goes, it's another thing that would be 
uneasy. Like if there was a 22 year old in your corner, would be like, oh, that's probably sad because oh no, what someone who used here? to live here died right. in here. <laughs> right. But it's just a middle aged lady in the corner of your little studio. So, okay. It is, or was it a one bedroom? I can't remember if you, I think it was a studio, right? I think it was a studio. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. You and Lenore are on top of each other in Mm -hmm. studios in the towers. Mm -hmm. Yours is above mine, right? I think so. Yeah. Because you have to throw your clothes up to Claire (laughs) and Claire uses Eddie's pulleys in order to bring clothes down to you. You do not, you do not want Claire trying to throw you anything. (laughs) 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 tried it once never again (laughs) even when gravity is helping him you do not want it (laughs) check it all the way on the ground yeah i think there was like one there was probably one time where you were just where you were gonna drop a jacket back to lenore and you just like caught the wind at the right moment that they almost (laughs) didn't catch it and lenore's like you don't throw it when there's a gust Take it. But I think, yeah, you managed to catch it, but it's like, okay, we'll use the pulleys from now on and I'll chuck shit. Thanks, Eddie. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, yeah, he'll add. I don't think she's a student. She doesn't appear to be a student. I don't know. I can't get anything out of her. I've taken to watching the people I pass to see if anyone looks like her. Um, I can't find anyone. Do I have to have like a sleepover? Ghost bust. I mean, you two are always welcome for a sleepover. It'd be interesting to know if she would appear if there were other people there. How long does she stick around? Usually about... Last time I timed it, it clocked about 10 minutes. I had tried to talk to her, um, try to ask her questions, try to quote things at her to see if anything would kind of ring a bell or get her to react whatsoever. Nothing did, and then I looked down, and then I looked back up, and she was gone. So again, unknown if she uses a door, a wall, just materializes. I will say also that the last time that you saw her, it was sort of, you noticed because you felt like there was just someone else in the room. Mm -hmm. And then after she disappeared, there was like a five minute period where you couldn't see anybody, but you felt like something was watching you. Okay. Um, And I think that was part of the prompt of I should bring this up to my friends there are new things starting to happen yeah but yeah it felt like someone was still watching you when because when she's there it's just there's someone in the room with me and she's only just barely kind of looking at you Mm -hmm. but last time after she was gone you just felt like you were still being watched yeah for a little bit yeah they'll pause then um run their hand back through their hair again and sigh um even after she disappears i feel like i'm being watched which admittedly is not a new thing for me specifically But I have always known myself enough to attribute that to my imagination. I think Eddie and Lenore, that that would still kind of ping something for you, but in different ways. Eddie, there's part of you that's not surprised that people who go to school here would just randomly feel like they're being watched. But I don't Mm -hmm. think that's something that you talk about too much. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lenore, there have been times in the lab where you're working where you just there's nobody really around you. And you also feel like there's just been eyes on you. And I think it would actually be interesting to have both of you make average cool checks to see how much you, like, a hide roll. that. You said we weren't going to roll. I would love a roll. Let's do it. <laughs> Rolls are fun. Rolls are good. There is just, there's something very visceral about Claire saying, I still felt like I was being watched when the ghost isn't there. Because the ghost is kind of a fun story. And this right. hits a little bit more towards things that either, that both of you have experienced. Mm -hmm. So I guess sort of like hiding, if you're looking to like not give away a reaction, that would be what the cool check is for. So you don't have to make it, 
But if you're like, oh, I don't want to freak Claire out by being like, what did you say? You can, you can make that. And it'll be average. So for those of you who have not built a dice pool before, average difficulty is two purple. Um, and so that's sort of like what you're quote unquote rolling against. And you would build your cool checks with either the rank of the skill itself or the rank of the characteristics as you're starting green dice. And then wherever those overlap, you would upgrade those to a yellow. So let's say that your presence is three and you've got two ranks in cool. I don't know if anybody actually has that. You would end up with two yellow dice and a green die because the where those overlap is the two. So with my two and one, I should have a yellow and a green, correct? Yep. Okay. And sorry, how many black dice is this on average? One, two? There's there, it's one. no it's there's it's none. No, there's no black die. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you're too stressed. I mean, if you want one, I'll give you one. Freaking no, out. <laughs> it's a uh, it's two purple. So it's your That's it's your it cool is. against just two purple die. I knew there was something. And then the thing I love about this dice roller is that it just tells you the final result, and then if you need to break it down further, you can. I got one success, one advantage. Nice. Eddie's cool. Hell yeah! Nice, nice. I got one advantage. Okay, so Eddie, with your with your extra with your success and advantage, I think you have that thought, and it Mm -hmm. passes through you. And I think that you even have you're able to just like play it off, super chill. You're having a good time. You just came Mm -hmm. in here to study with your friends. But then also with your advantage, if you have something that you want to say to sort of just like comfort Claire, um, Mm -hmm. or redirect the conversation, you have that. Lenore, there's a moment where your face kind of just. If you ha- if you have a description that you want to do for this, feel free to let me know. But I think your face just kind of drops a little bit and it's clear that you're thinking about something. But with your advantage, you'll also I think you'll be able to recover. But uh, Claire, there is a moment on Lenore's face when you say that you're being watched where it just kind of it definitely falls. There's definitely something that they're thinking about. I think she almost grimaces and then just reaches mm. for the coffee and drinks that as a way to kind of cover up and be like, oh, I'm tired, but like doesn't say anything. I say that's uncomfortable. It is. I think Claire will, if he notices that, will be watching Lenore briefly because he expects Lenore to be so like, oh, Claire, you're just being ridiculous again. (laughs) And then when uh, she puts the coffee down, if she'll let him, he'll reach out and just like hold her hand for a bit. She'll let him. She'll just kind of glance at it for a second and then look at him like, oh, you got me. Acknowledging like, yep. But I think Oh, I had a thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I think she would just be like, so does that mean we're having that sleepover or do you just want us to come upstairs next time you see her? Uh, DM, quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, did we decide that I had like just seen her yesterday? Yeah. Okay. So it'll. I can expect it based on the pattern. I can expect it to be a while before she appears again. Yeah. Haunted month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he'll say um if she continues her pattern it'll be a couple weeks before she appears again but if she breaks habit and shows herself before then i can at least call lenore mm-hmm. um and eddie if you're nearby for sure if i can i'll just send a text message we could do like a midterm study session <laughs> i'll be sure to clean up before that happens <laughs> after Claire sends, says, I'll send a text message. You do, you do continue your conversation, but Eddie, your phone buzzes in your pocket. Oh, I'll check it. Oh. It's from your sister. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a simple text that says, are you free tonight around dinner time? Can I come by? What time is karaoke at? Probably close to seven or eight. So there okay. is sort of like a, oh, but it's karaoke night. Why does my <laughs> sister want to see me? Right. Um, mm. I mean, she's pretty direct whenever she texts you. But the fact that she has like two full sentences mm-hmm. is like, oh, something might be on what? her mind. What this happened? is weird. Yeah. Yeah. You okay? <laughs> yeah. He'll just shoot back. Sure. Let me know what time. And then he'll say, oh, my sister wants to see me tonight. So I might have to be late or duck out early for karaoke. Okay. Claire looks sad. (laughs) If if you keep going all night, I can probably make it. Oh, I can go all night. (laughs) All right. That's not a problem. Lenore looks into the ether. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Or maybe that was just Keats's face. It was very good. (laughs) It was very good. (laughs) Lenore does after staring off into the ether for a split second. She's like, promise me that I don't have to carry you back this time. Are you talking to me? Yes. <laughs> uh, Claire gives her an apologetic smile and says, I just need to stay away from those polar bear shots. Ew. Tempting as they listen, are. Listen, those are addicting. Those are, that's something that you consume more of. The more you consume it, the better it gets. And right. then you regret it. So just don't. Well, <laughs> I can't help myself sometimes. You know it. Yeah, that's fine. But for Lenore's sake, I feel bad already, so I will not have them tonight. Period. Full stop. Next week. Maybe next week. <laughs> I don't have as many tests next week. Go for it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so after go for it, Eddie, you get one more text from your sister. This one is very simple. It just says 615 question mark. Thumbs up emoji. <laughs> <laughs> And then I think you get a little okay emoji back. <laughs> Great. Oh, actually, no, it's not the hand one. It's the one that's the button and it says okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's what you get yeah. back from Olivia. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Fabulous. Cool. All right. So you, uh, the three of you study for a while. I think a couple more just like questions about ghosts come up because I know like Eddie is mm-hmm. interested in ghosts. Yeah. Lenora's like, why are we still talking about this? Maybe. I don't know. I think Lenora at one point just does ask, so which corner of your apartment is this in? <laughs> like thinking about her own apartment directly underneath. Oh, Are there right. cold spots in my apartment? <laughs> I gotta set up a lamp or something. Claire uh, takes the coffee back and gives her a little smile and says, am I making a believer out of you? I'm merely asking all the questions I might need to to cover all of the... Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> As expected of a scientist. It's the northeast. It's the northeast corner. Thank you. He pauses for a moment to, like, orient himself. Yes, the northeast corner. We should see if we can find an EMF reader or something before we have our sleepover. That would be interesting. Right? Seems a little excessive. I don't know where you would generally get one of those. Are they at antique shops? <laughs> I don't think so. Probably the I don't internet. Th- I don't think there's one at, like, the department stores. You could do the flashlight trick. The what? What is that? Where you set up two flashlights and then unscrew them almost, and then you ask questions and tell the ghost to turn them on and off. Though if she's not responding, that might be. What if the ghost can't access the flashlights? Is it even a real ghost then? What if the flashlights do their own thing on their own because of electricity? <laughs> no, I love no, the they're... two different. <laughs> no, no, they're set up so that it's not touching the metal part. All right. It's seems... not touching. Is there some kind of ghost hunting club in this campus that you could just ask? That's a good question. So you don't have Eddie. to become your own. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do we're gonna do one more roll, Eddie. I don't okay. know if you have any ranks in this, so it might just be a simple 
mm-hmm. check, but uh, this will be a streetwise, but also with your brain. So mm-hmm. it, it's like you trying to think if you know of anything right. that would be like that. Um, it's going to be an, uh, no, it's probably an easy check. So mm-hmm. streetwise with one purple. Two advantages. Two advantages. Um, yeah. You can't think of anything on campus. Like you can't, you're like, do we have ghost hunting clubs? I don't <laughs> think so. Um, <laughs> but you do know that sometimes your Sunday cooks talk about weird shit at Zapelli's. Oh, okay. So maybe you could ask if they have anything. Because I think that there's a couple of them that are like extremely superstitious. Nothing that would be like, yeah, I know for sure where we can get an EMF reader and some flashlights. Mm-hmm. But it's like, right. yeah. No, maybe I could maybe I could ask the the lobster chef. Yeah. <laughs> My superstitious lobster chef. <laughs> yeah, I'll check in uh for a serious podcast. Right. I'll check in on uh on Sunday. I think some of the cooks are a little bit superstitious, so Okay. <laughs> All right. If if we're really interested in busting ghosts or talking to ghosts or seeing ghosts. I would consider myself desperate on the matter, so whatever you feel you need to do. Okay. I'll see what I can take care of. I am surprised that there aren't more stories of ghosts around, considering how old these buildings seem. He motions around. Like, you'd think there'd be some library ghosts. Maybe there are. I mean, there's one downstairs working the front desk right now, (laughs) but he doesn't count. (laughs) Is he a ghost or like a devil? Ghost devil. Yes, stay away from him. He's dead to you. Sure is. (laughs) And so you continue to study and you sort of have like a nebulous plan to eventually try to do some ghost hunting uh, at Claire's place. I think that that'll be a a train that we do eventually follow, Um, especially I would love to see a scene of Eddie at work. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you got any EMF readers back there? Got me fucking... (laughs) We also need breadsticks on table three. (laughs) hilarious so yeah you can you continue to study i think you get some good work done you're able to like bounce some ideas back and forth and again you pull pull that plan together lenore you realize that it's cutting it pretty close to fencing practice and you do have to get across the bridge because the athletic center is on Mm -hmm. the science side so you have to get from the library all the way through the campus center across the bridge and basically to the other half of the campus quickly and usually i think it's just because like there was so much ghost talk that you didn't realize that you were staying So, like, Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to be late, but it's just like, oh, I have to leave, like, now. Does Lenore take the coffee? Uh, No, I think Lenore leaves the coffee, but she packs up and she's, as she leaves, I think she'll be like, later, Tweeds, don't forget dinner. And then (laughs) goes. I love. (laughs) Claire falls in love every day. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They leave and Claire looks at Eddie and is like, they're amazing. They are. Lenore, you... You get to the athletic center, which is a large building. The lower levels is the gym, like the general fitness center where anybody can come and work out. Uh, but then there is a glass staircase, not glass, but like looks very clear and translucent um, that leads up to the wider arenas and the more like sports centric uh, areas of the of the athletic center. There are two running tracks. There's one on the upper floor and then there's a running track that is in where people do fencing practice so there is an arena in the middle of the fencing area but there's also places to spar um, around that there are going to be warm-ups today before you have to do any actual fencing and so i think it's mostly going to be like low-key with just vests rather than fully suited up anything you want to do on your way there not really i think she's just focusing on i need to get there and not be late 
Um, right. So I think when she gets there, she just haphazardly drops her bag off by her locker and just like takes off her over sweater and stuff for just whatever tank top is underneath and just quickly changes into half leggings, probably. Yeah. What's well, not too warm to run in, but also protect. Yeah, like half leggings. <laughs> and then if warm ups are individual, I think she'll probably pop her AirPods in because she's that person and I hate that about them. Um, <laughs> Pop some air, pop their AirPods in and get out and start doing some stretching and hopefully not thinking about the fact that there could be a ghost like 20 feet above their apartment (laughs) (laughs) at any given moment. So as you make it in, there are a couple of younger fencers filtering in. Others are doing either interval running or stance practices where they go like across just Mm -hmm. doing advances. Coach Io is there. They are about 5'8". They've got very dark skin and they have uh, half of their head is shaved. And then the right side of their head just sort of like explodes in this beautiful uh, coily natural curls that go to about their ears. They're just a fully genderless human being. And even though they're 5'8", they don't feel 5'8". They have like a commanding personality so that it always feels like they're like six feet tall. They command attention, but they're not unfriendly. And so they always sort of have a bit of a slyness uh, in their eyes and uh, large fencing hands. They are in full fencing uniform because as a coach, that's something that they feel more comfortable in. Civilian clothes are for off work. And then the rest of the time they're, they're on. But they do notice you as you walk in and they kind of give you a smile. Guess who got here early? And as they say that, you can see that Adalia is already doing the um, advancing exercises. Uh, Lenore gives Io a little wave. And then after they're like, guess who got here early? And Lenore's like, not me. <laughs> You're perfectly fine. You're on time. Just thought you might want to know. Thanks. I definitely wanted that on my mind right before getting into practicing. Oh, come on. We're just doing a pool bout today. There's a meet in two weeks. If she tries to open her mouth too much to try to take command, I want to be the one who's surveying the pool bouts today. So you're full within your rights to make her realize that she has to do those bouts as well. I think I could probably arrange that. I'm sure you can. And I think she goes over and does whatever like stretches and warm ups Mm -hmm. that they would all individually do. Yeah. And then come time for that about she would grab her foil and walk on up to Adalia and I imagine that Adalia is like stretching and fiddling with something closer to like the ground um Mm -hmm. and they would like stick their sword out in front of Adalia's feet and just kind of tap the ground in front of her yeah Adalia is like fitting a shoe on and then she stops um, and she looks up, and for those listening, um, Adalia, even though she's crouched down, she is 5'7". She's pale white, but she has some pink to her tones. She's also got very long blonde hair that she keeps back in the tightest possible ponytail that you can imagine. She's got very, very sharp green eyes, high cheeks. She's got a wide torso, but again, since she's three-fourth legs, it's very short. So it's a wide and short torso. She's athletic. She's obviously been doing this for a long time. And so she stops fitting her shoe. Um, She looks up at you and says, oh, a challenger? I didn't think you were going to make it today. I'm sorry. Some of us do have a life outside of... And they roll their eyes. She does go to get her sword, but she starts like barking some kind of orders. Things like, all right, we're doing this like a pool. Three minutes. That's all you got. You have two minutes to find a partner. And then the coach is like, I I can take it from here, Adalia. She kind of... She doesn't like shrink when... um, 
Coach Okoro calls her out, but her protruding chest and very bravado-ness kind of settles a little bit. She does grab a sword and in tournaments, pool bouts is just three minutes and whoever makes it to five hits first wins. You can basically do it with any sword. And so we, uh, since we're going to be doing like a fun little like combat thing so that we can see what this looks like, is there any sword that you want to do? Because I do have minimal rules that can work with right of way. Or if you want to fight Epe with Adalia, then the whole body is a target. Oh, um... So you could do foil if you wanted to, to work with parrying and right of way. And did you take parry as a talent? See, you would think I would have taken parry as a talent. <laughs> <laughs> but I ran out of experience and also worked under the assumption that I was like, oh, we're not going to be doing much fun. Like, we're not going to need to do sword things. And we're not, it's not going to come up. R.I.P. We talked that we were going to, that the second scene was going to be fencing. <laughs> Didn't think about the fact that we would roll for it. So um. I'm so sorry. And in that case, if you wanted to fight Epe, that's more like if two people hit it the one time, they both get the point type thing. Yeah. I think right now, that Lenora would probably suggest Epe. Then um, Adalia would grab, I think she always carries all three of her swords and they, you know, the, the the sheaths are very like meticulously done. So she grabs her Epe and undoes the little button and pulls the blade out. And then she, when the coach isn't looking, she takes one of the freshmen away from their partner and then like swaps two of their partners around and just does it without saying anything and then flips the Epe around. So she's carrying it like the blade is down and then mm-hmm. she flicks her wrist and then catches it so that the blade is faced up and you two can find a spot to do a quick bout. You're a little particular today. It's been a week, so this should be fun. I look forward to it. And she brings her feet together in the typical salute and raises her sword to salute you. Lenore mirrors that. And then she moves into her stance. You will notice, I think that there's just something that you know about her now is that because you've been fighting her for so long and you've known her for so long, she favors her right foot a little bit. Um, she's still very quick. She's still a tough opponent, mm-hmm. but she, she just favors her right foot a little. She doesn't look like she's favoring it more right now, does she? No, but oh. since she agitated you, it's just like that is something that I've had in the back of my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that during warmups, there was a little bit where she was favoring it a, a tiny bit more, but by the end of... Like the fourth time that she was going across the floor, she seemed to have gotten back together. Okay. All right. So how fencing is going to work just for this? Uh, we don't have to go to all five, depending on how long this takes, because sometimes combat in Genesis can be a while. We're going to calculate how many wounds would exist, but we're not going to do real wounds because there's just tapping. But that also means that successes are going to be a little bit more nebulous than in typical combat. So we'll roll for initiative, which is either a simple cool or vigilance check to see who can advance first. Then in the in the fencing moves, so in Genesis, there are more like distance ranges rather than like five feet, 10 feet, 20 feet. Um, So you're going to start at short distance. And in order to try to attack, you have to move into engaged. Moving between those two is going to be a maneuver. You get a maneuver in your turn, and then you can also take an action. However, if you don't want to, you can try to sort of like psych your opponent out. You can move into engaged and then move back for two maneuvers with no action. And that could impose like a black die on the next round if you two are psyching each other out rather than going straight towards each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're able to move in and out of short and engaged distance as part of your turn. Um, And then you can also make your attacks with melee. Again, uh, she does have parry, so she may use an incidental, but she will take that strain. Successes on the base swords in Genesis are worth three damage. And then any success after that is going to be plus one. And so a success will still calculate wounds using your soak. 
and your soak is just your brawn unless you bought anything to increase your soak. Um, so you can roll a success, but this hit won't connect if it fully drains the soak. Like, but it'll be like a narrow miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see how that works. So it's just going to be five hits. A hit uh, is not determined just by success. It would have to be that you quote unquote would have done damage outside of the soak in order to fully hit. And then advantage can go to the other person in the next turn, depending on if that's successful or not. Okay. Awesome. Yep. All right. So let's do this. Let's roll ourselves some initiative, which again is uh, simple, either cool or vigilance. depending. Okay. On. So no purple. No purple. Yep. Roll dice. One success. Oh, <laughs> how the hell did that happen? Uh, that's three successes and two advantages. So I think Adalia's going to go first. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I only have... Get fucked, I Lenore. Have, I don't even have any yellow dice. It was three green. <laughs> Lenore who? <laughs> I promise I love them. I'm not trying to call them out so much today, but my God. So anyways, I'm going to retire Lenore because they're going to die this match. <laughs> it's nice playing with y'all. R.I.P. That was fun. <laughs> that was nice. All right, cool. Great. Uh, well, I'm really upset we had Lenore in the first scene because uh, apparently they don't exist anymore. Nope. Thanks for listening to Gaze of the Round. The Gaze of the Round podcast and network are a subset of Lucian Brinkley Media Services, LLC. This season's setting is That Dark Academia, which was created using the core rules of the Genesis role-playing game system by Fantasy Flight Games and in accordance with the guidelines set by the Genesis Foundry for original content. It will be available online through the Foundry at the end of the season. This season features Sarah Kay as Eddie Everett, Keats as Eleanor Lane, and Riley Lynn, who also designed our graphics and branding, as Clarence Monroe. You can find Sarah on Twitter at a blinding idea, Keats on Twitter at klolsen32, that's O L S E N 32, and Riley on Twitter at the Riley Lynn, that's L I N N. All three cast members are co-creators of the fictional school Heldholm University and the town of Heldholm. I'm Lucian, the GM for the season, as well as the creator of the setting That Dark Academia and the Gaze of the Round podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Cafe with Lucian. Aiden Chan, sometimes known as Dungeon Maestro, is the composer and performer of the original music heard on That Dark Academia. You can find Aiden on Twitter at Aiden Chan, that's A-I-D-E-N-C-H-A-N, and also on YouTube and Spotify. Our official character art, as seen on our Twitter, was done by Tulome. You can find them on Twitter at T-U-L-O-M-N-E. For more updates on this show and planned future shows, follow us on Twitter, yeah, I know, more Twitter, it's fine, <laughs> at Goternet Pods. That's G-O-T-R-N-E-T-P-O-D-S. We've loved having you with us, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.